Do you know what a premillennial is? Well, it's not somebody that was born before millennials. That's not what it is. It's not a demographic group at all. It's a theological term, a premillennial. So some church members just might not be aware of what a premillennial is. A premillennial is those are, they are those who believe that Jesus Christ will return to earth in a powerful spiritual form and set up a physical kingdom of God on earth that begins an age that will last for a thousand years or a millennial. And because this has not yet occurred, they are premillennials. The millennium, the millennium is sometime coming up in the future. So, they are pre-millennials. You are pre-millennials. Did you know that? At least to theologians. But not all who profess Christ believe that. But I will emphasize that if you are a member of the living church of God, oh yes, you are a pre-millennial to theologians. How about an amillennial? You know what an amillennial is? But that's someone who believes that there's no millennial rule of Christ whatsoever. Amillennialism views all the prophecies about Christ's earthly kingdom as being metaphors or allegories. And uh, that they're never going to physically actually occur on earth. For an amillennial, there's no physical kingdom of God on earth whatsoever. They exclude that as a possibility. And Christ only rules maybe in the hearts of the followers or um, through the church somehow, but only in a, in a spiritual manner. For them, um, the Orthodox Church and its spread of, the, of Christ's salvic message is Christ's kingdom and forever will be. This view is held by the Catholic Church very strongly held by the Catholic Church. Many Protestant denominations, the Lutherans, Reformed, Anglicans, uh, Methodists, uh, many, uh, even some uh, Messianic Jews. If you had listened to the homily that the Archbishop of Canterbury gave at Charles III's coronation, you would have heard him in at least one or two sentences deny that Christ has an earthly kingdom. That happened. How about a post-millennial? Post-millennium, well, that's someone who believes that Christ's second coming occurs after a time when Christian ethics are dominant in the world and there's kind of a golden age of Christianity that spreads throughout the world. A post-millennial believes that the biblical description of Christ's thousand-year rule, like the Catholics, is um, um, figurative or just allegorical and usually denies that he will come to set up a physical government, but maybe um, for both of the other groups, they think maybe he'll come at the end at a time of judgment. There will be an advent then for that. Many Protestants subscribe to that view, including most Presbyterian churches, post Millennial. These are three general views of the millennial kingdom of God and the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of God that Christ and the apostles preached. They are very different views and they have a lot of implications for the believer. And of course, I just point out, I gave you just a summary. Within all of those, there are a lot of variations within the different types of thinking. 
Did you know that the biblical doctrine of Christ's thousand-year rule on earth, what theologians call premillennialism, is heretical to the Catholic Church? It is heresy. and has been for centuries and centuries. Did you know that it has been under attack in the news lately? Maybe you've seen it. Amillennialism and postmillennialism have serious spiritual implications, and we need to be aware of how these non-biblical ideas can affect us. As we approach the end of this age, the true gospel of the kingdom of God will come under attack by a deceived world. That's why it's deceived, because Satan does not (laughs) like premillennialism of what it means. It is the truth that Christ taught, that all the prophets taught, that the apostles taught in the first century church. So let's have a closer look today, and in doing so, we'll consider some modern and ancient attacks on the truth of the gospel of the kingdom of God. We'll contrast what mainstream Christianity believes as opposed to our biblical doctrine. We'll do that. We'll see, according to secular historians, how it got that way. You don't have to believe me. I've got some books here and a whole bunch of them, quotes that we can, that will tell because historians understand what the first century church believed and then how it changed over the next few centuries. And we'll look at the state of this important biblical disagreement, doctrinal disagreement, which could possibly represent a problem for the church in the near future. So first point. As I mentioned, premillennialism is a theological term that we don't use much, but it's coming under attack these days from some unusual sources. I'm not going to do a biblical proof of premillennialism. I mean, that's really preaching to the choir when I talk to you guys. I understand that. And we go over that in great detail at the Feast of Tabernacles and leading up to it every year. We have meat in due season. But knowing some history can make... A big difference in understanding what's going on. So let's look first at some historical sources about premillennialism, and there are many. I'll just go through a few today. Well, what was the belief of the first century church that was taught by Christ and the apostles? Well, you know that. We know it from the Bible. But secular historians know that as well because it was well documented in the second century and some in the third by the historians of that day who were writing about the church that, uh, that the apostles had taught. Will Durant, who wrote the ten-volume um, history of the story of civilization, wrote this about Christ's teaching regarding the kingdom of God. The, quote, the church has quoted this before, but it's worth quoting again here today. Quoting, what did he mean by the kingdom, referring to Christ? A supernatural heaven? Apparently not, for the apostles and the early Christians unanimously expected an earthly kingdom. This was the Jewish tradition that Christ inherited, and he taught his followers to pray to the Father, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, well, that's from a secular historian. I know books is about this thick if you've ever seen them up on the library wall. I've got some at home. Another historian, Edward Gibbon, uh, who uh, uh, reflects the view of many scholars regarding the dominance of the premillennial view of the kingdom of God in the early church. 
there's an extensive history of it written, as I said, by the early historians, so it's not very hard for them to figure it out. In his uh, book, The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, chapter 15, uh, he wrote this. And by the way, we've quoted this before, too. I love this quote. This is a wonderful quote. Beginning. The ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of the creation had been finished in six days, their duration in their present state, according to a tradition that was attributed to the prophet Elijah, was fixed to 6,000 years. And by the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labor and contention, which has now almost elapsed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a 1,000 years, and that Christ, with a triumphant band of the saints and the elect who had escaped death or who had been miraculously revived, would reign upon earth until the time appointed of the last and general resurrection. Continuing on a bit, the assurance of such a millennium was carefully inculcated by a succession of fathers. It appears to have been the reigning sentiment of the Orthodox, meaning the beginning church, Orthodox believers, when the edifice of the church, referring to the Catholic church, was almost completed, the temporary support was laid aside. The doctrine of Christ's reign upon the earth was at first treated as a profound allegory, then considered by degrees as a doubtful and useless opinion, and was at length rejected as the absurd invention of heresy and fanaticism. Now, uh, we could track all of what he just said through various histories written by other people. We won't have time to do that today, but this is an interesting piece. This almost could have come out of one of our booklets, couldn't it? Because this is what the the church believed in those times. Okay, with this orthodox view of premillennialism is reflected in the modern, um, when I say orthodox, I mean of the uh, mainstream Christianity, was uh, as it was reflected in modern uh, Catholic Church, which espouses the amillennial view. You may not have heard of Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger. He was uh, the uh, sort of the called the the doctrinal Rottweiler for the Catholic Church for a number of years. He was the doctrinal enforcer and later became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. I have a couple of his books. Fascinating guy, consummate theologian. Let me just read a, a few things that Benedict wrote. This is a collection of papers that he wrote as Ratzinger before he became Pope. The Christian faith distinguishes this from the kingdom of God, which does not and cannot exist in this world as a political reality, but rather comes into being through faith, hope, and charity, and must transform the world from within. In the condition of this world, the kingdom of God is not a worldly kingdom but rather an appeal to man's freedom and a support for reason so that it can accomplish its task, meaning to transform the world from within. This distinction is what is ultimately at stake in the temptation of Jesus, the rejection of political theocracy, meaning he means the kingdom of God, Christ ruling on earth by that. 
Okay, this is a full-throated rejection of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what he's just wrote here. That's what that says. And, of course, as it was understood by the first century church and the apostles, and he knows that. He knows the histories as well, or knew that. He died uh, recently. Uh, he knew that as well as anyone. Later, however, other influential theologians, after the time of the apostles, such as Origen in the second century, scorned the millennial beliefs of the early church. In his amillennial doctrine, Origen rejected the literal approach to understanding prophecy and supported the idea that Christ's millennial view was merely an allegory. And Origen opposed, this historian opposed the idea of premillennialism. And perhaps the greatest opponent and the most influential opponent of the gospel of the kingdom of God as we understand it, premillennialism, was Augustine of Hippo. Augustine, known to the Roman Catholics as St. Augustine. Here's a quote from a book by Richard Landis, who is a professor of history and director of Center of Millennial Studies. Believe it or not, they have one at Boston University. By the way, this goes through the whole thing. I've had this book for 10 or 12 years. This really does a thorough job of going through it. And Professor Landis is not a particular friend of millennialism, I can tell you. Augustine is the most powerful anti-apocalyptic, anti-millennial thinker in the Latin church. Founded the um, dominant school of Vesperian um, um, historiography in the Middle Ages. And at length, a lengthy period, but I won't go into all of that, but he, he was the most powerful anti-apocalyptic and anti-millennial thinker of his day and later on. His insistence that millennialism had any part, um, never had any part of true Christianity and that responsible leaders, clergy, should never espouse apocalyptic beliefs, should never read contemporary events by the light of the book of Revelation, dominated ecclesiastical circles. He goes on a great length about all of this, but just to let you know, with touching on some of these things, some of the historians that were very influential and the ones that over time simply got the historians and all the writers of the church and the preachers and everyone else to leave this doctrine out of their teaching and to espouse other things. Much of the rest of traditional Christianity believes that the kingdom of God is their church. Maybe it's in heaven. Maybe it's in their hearts. I recall going to a, a funeral one time for someone in my extended family where the minister stood and said the kingdom of God is in heaven because that's what he believed. Views vary widely, and Orthodox Christianity teaches a variety of other gospels that focus on the purpose, on the person of Christ, spiritual connections of believers going to heaven, or maybe just the institutional edifice of the church in the case of our Catholic friends. Someone has got to have it wrong. Premillennials, amillennials, postmillennials, they can't all be right. And believing the true gospel of the kingdom of God, according to your Bible, according to Jesus Christ, according to the apostles, is essential 
for eternal life, isn't it? Turn to Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. We could see several scriptures about this, but we'll just look at this one. Believing the true gospel of Jesus Christ is an important matter. The Apostle Paul had some stern words about the importance of knowing and following the true gospel. And it was taught in the church and it was passed on to them. But later it was attacked and attacked and attacked. Beginning. I marvel that you are turned away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Hmm. Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And what gospel did they receive? The gospel of the kingdom of God, of Christ's millennial rule on earth. That's what they believed. Summarize point number one. The kingdom that Christ and the apostles promised um, and uh, was, as God stated, through all of his prophets and all of his apostles throughout the ages. It is the gospel we preach about the kingdom of God on earth and Christ's redemptive activity that precedes it. Premillennialism, the seventh millennium, was the original belief of the church, and the prophets, and um, our church, of course, and the prophets, and is pictured by the seventh-day Sabbath, which you're keeping now. We have a picture of Christ's millennial rule every week when we come here and do this. The time becomes holy, but in the millennial rule of Christ, the holy mountain of God will spread throughout the world. However, in the end time, Satan will likely attack both the weekly Sabbath and the millennial Sabbath, something we should be prepared for. Point number two. Let's look at some things that are going on currently. And I'll read a couple of articles um, that have recently appeared. Here's something from a conservative online newspaper. It's called the Epoch Times, which mentions premillennialism negatively. It purports to defend mainstream Christianity, but maligns our faith about the kingdom of God. The author, uh, one Rocco uh, Leo Acono, appears to be of Italian extraction and certainly Catholic-leaning. And Catholicism, of course, is amillennialism, uh, amillennial, and uh, premillennialism is heretical for Catholics. So here's a quote from the article recently appeared. Christians believe that in the end time, Christ will come again and undertake the final and eternal judgment of all humanity, as told by Christ himself in chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel, and so beautifully depicted by Michelangelo on the altar wall of the Sistine Chapel. However, quotes, premillennialism is an interpretation of Christ's return and is reminiscent of any number of death cults that has sprung up over the years, which, of course, are the antithesis of Christ's message. Death cult. <laughs> you talk about a smear. 
No proof. Just says it. You're in a death cult? Of course you're not. That's ridiculous. Here's an excerpt from a uh, recent, that recently appeared in the Daily Beast, which is a left-leaning American website. It focuses on politics, media, and pop culture. There was a shooting in Australia a while back, a little while back, where um, some um, police officers were killed. And this is the article. Let's see. It's, it's, it's reporting on it. Gareth Nathaniel and Stracy Train died in a standoff after killing constables Rachel McCrow, 29, and Matthew Arnold, 26, and their neighbor, Alan Dare, 58, on December 12. They were involved in an extreme religion known as, scare quotes again, premillennialism. Queensland Deputy Policeman Issue Tra- uh, Commissioner Tracy Linford said Thursday, calling the attack on the officers a religious terror attack. Uh, extreme religion? That's what they're saying. I've got um, a whole study called Millennialism and Violence done by the, someone at the University of Windsor. It's 228 pages long. I will read that to you today, thankfully. But I'm just saying all of this stuff is out there. There's a good bit of this type of content out there on the Internet and being published elsewhere. The Guardian, which is a major news outlet in the United Kingdom, uh, is another reference to the same shooting in Australia, which connects the violence that they did to uh, premillennialism. I don't quite, there's no real connection to it other than apparently whoever these people were, they had some sort of premillennial belief in addition to their other violent political beliefs. This is under, in the Guardian, under the heading Christian Extremist Ideology. Oh, boy. It is important to unpack, even with the still limited information available, what do we know about Christian Extremist Ideology? The Deputy Commissioner of the Queensland Police, Tracy Linford, indicated that evidence points toward the attackers subscribing to what we would call a broad Christian fundamentalist belief system known as premillennialism, which drove a direct attack upon the police. Extraordinary. If you believe that Christ is coming to set up a kingdom that's going to bless the world for a thousand years, that's going to drive you to extremes and to make attacks on the police. Those who hold that uh, are subscribing to a Christian extremist ideology and may commit violent attacks. That's crazy. Summarize point number two. Obviously, people with violent political beliefs can uh, believe in aspects of Christianity, just as some of the most violent people in history have been Catholics, Muslims, or atheists. Do these statements that, that they are making come from ignorance or malice or both? It will be interesting to see how this trend develops and continues. Point number three. So how does Satan benefit from all of this confusion? Because you know he's the one who is sponsoring it. 
It's important to remember that Satan has a kingdom. And you know I like to remind you about that. He rules this world. He is the god of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the one who rules the world for now. And he does it through deception and he does it through temptation. Let's do a review on that and connect it to some of the attacks on the true gospel. Turn to Matthew 12, 26. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 26. It's important to realize that, as I said, Satan has a kingdom, and his corrupt mountain, his government, currently fills the whole earth with deception, with blindness, with deafness. They can't see it in the world. They can't understand it. But they're in this captivity, and they can't tell. Verse 26 Christ said this, if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. I've been over this before, but we'll try to give it a brief review here now. This is what Mr. Armstrong calls the, called the world's greatest battle to date. It was winner take all. And Satan had Christ out in the wilderness, and he was going to tempt the second Adam with the same order of temptation, the same kind of temptation, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, that worked on the first Adam. I've got him where I want him, he said. And he went all in. He bet everything on this because he had his chance. And he said, if it worked once, it can work again. So he went through the various temptations, and if you recall, he took Christ up onto a mountain where you could see all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said, if you worship me, just subordinate yourself to me, I'll give the whole thing to you, because it was in his power to do it. He was the king and the god of this world. And Christ blew him away with the breath of his lips. Of course, he said, get behind me, Satan, for you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Satan was defeated at that point. Christ rejected Satan's kingdom, not his own, when he did that. He didn't reject his own kingdom on earth. He was rejecting Satan's kingdom on earth. And in doing so, he defeated kingdom, uh, Satan and his kingdom. Christ is not coming to reform Satan's kingdom. And we need to keep that in mind. He is coming to destroy it and to replace it with his own kingdom. It is a miraculous event by Christ and Christ's true church, true church does not bring it about by violence or political action. We understand that. And some of the extremists out there don't understand that. They don't understand the miraculous nature of Christ coming in power and glory as he described it. But we know that we know that he will do that. Speculate a moment. What if Satan had succeeded? He didn't, of course, but what if he had? What was his plan? Because he expected, he hoped to succeed. If he had gotten Christ to sin on just one of those three temptations, just one, then Christ could not have 
been resurrected to immortality because there was no one to die for his sins. He would have died in his sins. He could not have become immortal and come back to rule the world in his kingdom. So Satan has had to settle for a poor temporary alternative. Let's look at what the doctrines of amillennialism and postmillennialism actually mean to the adversary. Maybe we can understand them a little bit better. You see, with amillennialism, there's no kingdom of God on earth whatsoever. That's a complete denial of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. In that doctrine, Satan's kingdom, as a practical matter, goes on forever, just like he wanted just like he wanted. How about post-millennialism? Well, it's supposed to be a golden age, but, you know, for the last 2,000 years, they've been trying. What's happened? It's just gotten worse. We're in a position to wipe all humanity off the face of the earth. Nothing has changed in Satan's profane mountain. It's all still the same. So it's never going to happen in the first place, and the outcome is the same as with amillennialism. Satan's kingdom continues permanently. See how it works? That's what I think the plan is. Amillennialism and postmillennialism have most people in mainstream Christianity believing that, in effect, Satan's kingdom is here to stay, and the world has no hope for freedom from its captivity in this um, Satan's unholy mountain. It's a great deception. Things will go on and on and on as they always have. Sadly, the whole world will be deceived into fighting Christ when he comes to establish his righteous kingdom. Just be sure you're not among them. You know the truth. You know the truth. But they don't want that truth. Satan certainly does not want that truth to go out to the world. But that's the business that we're in Here is preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God to the world and feeding the flock is what we do. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 3 through 12. I'm going to read this from the New International Version. I could read it through from several different modern translations because they translate a couple of words, one word in here better than the King James versions or New King James versions do. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming himself to be God. He's looking for this opportunity, and he's probably out there now, and that's why I think so many people over there have their eyes on Jerusalem. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. For this reason... God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. 
And so that, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. We've been over this before earlier. We have it in our literature, but let me just point out for you, um, the word term falling away that you see in verse three is translated rebellion in the NIV, RSV, English Standard Version, New English Translation. In verse three is translated the great rebellion in the New Living Translation. It's translated revolt in the Dewey Rames Translation. And, but in the New, in the King James and New King James Version is incorrectly translated falling away. There are reasons for that which we don't have time to go into today. So what's the powerful delusion that they're going to have? Well, don't know exactly, but I think we can confidently conclude, uh, or at least include in it the idea that Christ's establishment of his millennial rule is some kind of great evil for the world. Because they're going to go out and fight him when he comes. They'll be deceived, but a deceived world will fight one last great battle led by the adversary. It's what he does. It's just what he does. Summarize point number four. Satan has already lost and is now in his final destructive endgame. He knows he's lost. He also knows his time is short. He can count, remember? He can count the years and the times. He may not know exactly, but he knows that his time is short. He has invented doctrines that give him what he hoped to have, a permanent kingdom. But all of that ends, it all ends, when Christ appears miraculously in power and glory. So, will the teaching of premillennialism be somehow maligned or even canceled in the near future? Well, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know. Not saying for sure that it will be. But it's kind of getting a little role going on now. And notwithstanding what the amillennialists and postmillennialists hope, the world rejected God a long time ago. And the world is continuing along the same destructive path that it always has because it is Satan's kingdom. Only Christ and his kingdom can free the world from Satan's captivity and save the world from itself. This is a big reason why the living church of God preaches individual and national repentance, in addition to preaching the gospel of Christ's kingdom to come and his wonderful redemptive activity that precedes it in this age. Only a few are listening, sadly. But those few who do see and do hear have available to them Christ's shed blood to remove the guilt of their sins and Christ's wonderful way of life to live in all of their days or until he comes. Just some important final thoughts, something I want to take with you as a result of this. For the true church of God, the millennial rule of Christ comes about by Christ's miraculous intervention in world affairs. Now, the human church of God does not bring it about through worldly political action, through military action, through things, physical things of its own in this age. I know there could be some people out there that are deceived about that. We are not. Christ instructed us to 
preach the gospel, to wait, and to watch. Watch for him coming. The causes of the world's problems are spiritual. The effects are sociopolitical. And the solutions are biblical. And we know what they are. Christ is not coming to reform Satan's kingdom, but to destroy it and to replace it with his own righteous government. God speed that day.